friends, welcome to the Gospel Today. My name is Caleb Suko, and today we are going to be talking about how to share the Gospel with LGBTQIA plus people from that community. And if you were able to catch the last podcast, I talked about a biblical foundation for understanding heterosexuality. So I'm not going to talk about so much about what the Bible says about homosexuality or LGBTQ movement at all in this episode. I'm just going to focus on the gospel. How can we effectively share the gospel with members from the LGBTQIA plus community? I know it's kind of long, but that's all of the letters that they include in it. Because when it comes down to it, our main objective, and I'll say this again as we go through this, is not to get people to become heterosexuals or to leave their LGBTQ lifestyle, but our main goal is to bring them to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we really want to focus on. And I do believe that those people who are caught up in this kind of lifestyle, it is a, a particular sin, I guess you could say, and it has particular uh, barriers to the gospel in it that we must overcome, uh, do our best to overcome. And of course, we know that in the end, only the Holy Spirit can overcome these things, and so we must trust in His work in the hearts of people. But let's, let's get into it. Let's look at a couple of ways that we can effectively share the gospel with people from the LGBTQ community. And first of all, right away, I just want to say this. We need to remember, as because I think as a heterosexual, as a Christian, sometimes it's automatically assumed that okay, we're against LGBTQ people. We're not, although we do believe it is a sin. But we need to remember that they are people too, just like we are, which means that if we are people, then we are sinners, and every sinner needs Christ. So the biggest need of every gay, of every homosexual, of every bisexual, of every trans, is simply, is Christ. And I think it's important that we are able to put ourselves into that same position. That is our biggest need, and that is their biggest need. And not just look at their homosexual or gay, lesbian lifestyle, but look at them as a person like me, like you, who needs Christ. So what does Paul say? 1 Corinthians 1.17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And I find this very interesting, that Paul himself was so focused on his job of preaching the gospel, that he even thought baptism wasn't, wasn't really that important as far as his goal of seeing other people come to Christ. His goal was to get them to put their faith in Christ, to have people repent and have their lives changed by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we should have that same focus as we think about the LGBTQ movement, as we think about how we can, how we can help people who are caught up in that kind of movement. All right, so... First thing that I think is important for us to remember here is that homosexuals didn't really start the LGBTQ movement. And that might seem surprising to you, right? 
homosexuals didn't really start this movement. Uh, what do I mean by that? There's a great book that came out a couple of years ago by Dr. Albert Moeller called We Can't Be Silent, which is really focuses on the sexual revolution in the United States starting from about the 1960s on. And Dr. Albert Moeller in his book says this, today's movement towards the total acceptance of homosexual behavior and relationships was only made possible because some heterosexuals first did their best to undermine marriage. I find that really sobering to think about. And I want to bring this point up as the first point because it goes along with what I mentioned about the fact that we're all sinners, right? We as heterosexuals also have a part in the sexual revolution, the fall of marriage and understanding, uh, a biblical understanding of marriage, I think, for a large part in the United States and in the Western world. And we do because of sexual sins, of unfaithfulness, of divorce, and things like that. I want to move, I want to, another part of this quote I want to share with you from Dr. Moeller, and I highly recommend that you get this book. I think it gives a good foundation to the understanding of the sexual revolution, especially as it is in the United States. I will put a link in the show notes for it. So he goes on to say, heterosexuals did a very good job of undermining marriage before the cultural, culture forces begin advocating for the normalization of same-sex relationships and the legalization of same-sex marriage. The marriage crisis is a moral crisis that did not start with same-sex marriage. So there it is from Dr. Albert Moeller. And I think that it's important for us to admit that guilt because, like I said, it helps us to understand that we are sinners. We're in the same sinful position in need of Christ. Uh, when we come, it changes the way I think that we look at people in the LGBTQ community. So, unfortunately, it was heterosexuals that laid that foundation for the sexual revolution. And once you get rid of the norms of a biblical understanding of marriage, really, right, anything can, anything can go. Look what he says just a little bit further here. He says, um, well, I didn't finish this quote, so let me finish this quote. It says, The marriage crisis is a moral crisis that did not start with same-sex marriage, nor will it end there. The logic of same-sex marriage cannot end with same-sex marriage. Once marriage can mean anything other than heterosexual union, it can and must eventually mean everything. And so I think that's what we see, even from the time that this book was written a few years ago, we see now that, that the cultural understanding has gone far beyond just homosexual marriage or union to trans issues, to bisexual issues, to pansexual issues. And, and, and what we understand is an unending uh, new introduction of all kinds of sexualities, genders, and, and relationships. So we need to remember our own guilt in this, not put ourselves above others, and just simply remember that we have all sinned. Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And friends, we need to come back to this. And, and this is really, I think, where the challenge is. You see, so often when we're sharing the gospel, we're trying to think, how can I get this unbeliever to understand their sinfulness? What about us? Do we still really understand our own sinfulness? Do we come as a sinner to a sinner? One more verse here. That is 1 Timothy 1, 15, where Paul says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So this is an amazing example of Paul, who we can look at as amazing spiritual man, missionary, preacher of the gospel, miracle worker. But what was Paul's understanding when it came to preaching the gospel? His understanding was that he was the worst of sinners. And that is how he preached the gospel, the worst of sinners preaching to other people. And so our own attitude towards our sin must be, I am the worst. And, and again, I think that's one thing that is often missing when we approach people from the LGBTQ community is that so often we as Christians look at, well, your life is worse than my life or your sin is worse than my sin. But we need to have the attitude of sinners who have been saved by grace coming to them and sharing the gospel with them. So speak to them as a sinner who found grace in Jesus and not as a finger-pointing preacher whose only remaining sin is being too long-winded on Sunday mornings. I think that typifies the attitude that we need to have, simple humility when it comes to... And, and honestly, this is something we need for what, preaching the gospel to anyone, right? <clears throat> but I think in particular, it's important for preaching the gospel to people from the LGBTQ community because there is such a cultural understanding that as Christians, we're just kind of standing up on our podium, pointing our fingers down on them and saying, how terrible you are, look at me, why don't you live like me? We don't want to do that. We're not going to avoid saying that it is a sin. It is a sin and we must confront it as a sin, but we must confront it as sinners confronting sinners. All right. The next piece of advice I think I would have when sharing the gospel with someone from the LGBT community is simply don't avoid them. And again, as someone who has a straight Christian male, it can feel awkward sometimes talking with people from the LGBT community because it's sort of not the community that I'm often in. But we can't avoid them. And I know there's a lot of questions that surround this, like, what do I say to them? How do I respond? I think sometimes there's fear involved. You know, maybe, well, what if they try to influence my children and things like that? You know, I have found that no matter who I share the gospel with, to whom I share the gospel, there's always some sort of risk involved in it whether it's just a risk of losing a relationship or, or not knowing what to say or, or greater. And so if we want to share the gospel, we have to be willing to take some of these risks. And so we need to be able to communicate with them and to, to be with them uh, in some way or another. And here's the thing. 
if we think about LGBTQ, it, it's not some sort of special untouchable sin. Yes, it is a sexual sin, but let's, let's look at the Bible, friends. Look at all these sins that we find just in the book of Genesis, sexual sins, polygamy, nakedness, adultery, homosexuality, incest, rape, all within the first book of the Bible. These are sexual sins are unfortunately very common and they don't, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden this person is outside of the realms of God's ability to save them or to change their hearts or anything like that. We need to recognize that it is important for us to somehow have contact with these people if we want to share the gospel with them. Let's look at the example of Jesus here, Luke chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. It says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster, alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Jesus was condemned by this Pharisee, this religious leader, because he was coming in contact with this sinner, who was a sinner that was involved in sexual sin. But Jesus allowed it. In, in fact, I think Jesus even welcomed it. And he didn't put up just some sort of walls of condemnation. In fact, and here's the, I think here's the difference here. Because we can say, well, Jesus should have called her out on her sin. It was pretty obvious that when she came, she was coming with some sort of repentant heart. It was pretty obvious that she understood that her sin was sin. And so I do believe that there is a difference, that there are some, there are different kinds of people. There are some in the LGBTQ movement who very blatantly live out their sexuality. And they're bl very blatantly oftentimes against God. And honestly, there's often not much that we can do with those types of people. But there are people that are searching. There are people that have some conviction in their heart that might come, that might ask a question. And we need to be open to those people and not just immediately shut them down because we disagree with their sexual orientation, okay? So Jesus allowed these people to come to him when they felt some sort of guilt, some sort of need, some sort of um, prompting to, to come to him. So don't avoid them. And the next thing is this, don't try to fix their sexuality. And again, I think we have to be careful, <laughs> have to be careful in saying this, but I think that when we share the gospel with anyone, our goal should never be to fix their particular sin problems, okay? So my goal is not to convert a homosexual into a heterosexual. That's not what God has called me to do. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're called to go and preach the gospel of heterosexuality, okay? We're not called to do that. We're not called to, to just help someone stop overeating or stop partaking in uh, pornography or, or, or just stop drinking alcohol or anything like that. That is not our job. It's God's job. And our goal isn't 
just to fix someone's behavior problems, but it is to turn them to Christ. So this is an interesting passage here. Second Corinthians, I think, helps us to understand this, the transformation that takes place through the gospel. Second Corinthians 3:16 through18. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with every increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, what we see here is that those who do not put their faith in Christ have a veil over their face. But what does it say here? It says, anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Our job is simply to help direct that person towards the Lord to turn him to the Lord. It is God who will take that veil away. And then, what does it say? Once that veil is taken away, then they are being transformed into his image. And I truly believe that someone who has sincerely put their faith in Christ will experience a transformation from within, and it will affect their understanding of their sexuality, their understanding of other um, maybe sins that they are involved in. So our job is to turn them to the Lord. And I think that we need to keep that in mind as we share the gospel with them. That Obviously, it's not... Uh, oftentimes, homosexuality can be a big barrier to them turning to the Lord because they realize that that is against the gospel. So it will come up, okay? But that's not our main job, to fix it. Our main job is to get them to see the Lord, put their faith in Him, to repent, and, and God will do the rest, all right? They need to understand that sin isn't limited to their sexual identity, but rather that their sexuality is just one of many manifestations of their sin nature. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we look at, at their identity. And so that brings us to the next point, and that is this. We need to look at their whole identity. You see, Sexual identity, gender, do you choose to be a man, do you choose to be a woman, do you choose to be some third, fourth, fifth, sixth gender? These are all questions of identity. And so as someone who understands how God has created us, understands the identity God has given us, I think it's so important that we look at individuals, even unsaved individuals, and we, we see their whole identity. The problem is that once we know a person is gay, lesbian, or trans, or something else, oftentimes that colors everything for us, and that's the only way in which we see them. And we fail to see that they have normal, maybe some normal aspects of their life. Maybe they have some other problems that don't come underneath that identity. And it's important for us to look at their whole identity because God didn't just create them with that you know, one problem in their life. I mean, He didn't create that problem. They chose that problem, right? But God didn't just create them, and, and that is the only thing about them, right? So even you can look at something positive, right? So I am a father. I am a father, and that's part of my identity. But that's not the only thing about me. And so as we're sharing with them, let's look at their whole identity because in reality, the gospel is going to change everything about them, not just their sexual identity, right? 
So it's important for us to look, be able to look beyond that one sin in their life and see the person whom God made. And again, let's look at an example of this from John chapter 8, the woman caught in idolatry. It says, and said to, the, uh, to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of idol, uh, adultery. In the, law of Mo, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Okay, so obviously they were trying to get Jesus trapped here, right? They saw her sin, the Pharisees. That's all they saw. They just saw, okay, she is, was found committing adultery. And that's all they saw. Jesus saw more. Jesus saw a person who needed forgiveness. And so what was Jesus' response here? It says, And Jesus straightened up and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Now go and leave your life of sin. So Jesus didn't condemn her. In fact, he asked, you know, Who has no sin? Throw the first stone. Nobody could. And Jesus didn't condemn her because I think that he saw that there was a sincere, there was a sincere need for forgiveness and that she understood that. And so he forgave her. But what's interesting is that Jesus also didn't ignore her sin. So it's not like Jesus just sort of brushed off her sin, it's nothing. He didn't ignore the sin. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. So he forgave her, but he also instructed her to leave this sin. If there was true repentance there, then she would leave this sin. Another example where we see is a very similar thing is with Zacchaeus. And here we see Zacchaeus uh, in Luke chapter 19, verses 5 through 7. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So when he came down at once, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Okay, so again, the religious leaders, they called Zacchaeus a sinner. That was all they saw in Zacchaeus. But Jesus saw more. Jesus saw a man who was searching for his sin problem. And again, Jesus didn't ignore Zacchaeus' sin because we see later that Zacchaeus decided to give back fourfold to everyone he had stolen from. So probably there was some discussion about that sin as well in Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus. But Jesus saw more. Jesus saw a sinner who was repentant, who wanted forgiveness. And it's so important that we see that as well. And that we remember that they have the image of God in them. Let's go back to Genesis 126. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and likeness. You see, that's what it comes down to. We need to remember that these are also image bearers of God. And as image bearers of God, they, they need to be in relationship with God. But when we see them not just as a homosexual, a lesbian, or something else, but as an image bearer of God, I think it helps us to be able to sympathize with their problem and to help them or point, help point them to the solution of their problem. All right. But speaking of, of being made in the image of God, I think that it's also important for us, not only for us, to remember that they're in God's image, that their identity is more than just their uh, LGBTQ identity, 
but also to help them understand that. And that's important for us to do because really, when you look at it, people who identify themselves as LGBTQ, they have, a pro- they have an identity crisis is what they have. Uh, let's look at Romans 1, 26 and 27 here because it says something interesting. It says, they exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones, where it's talking about these people who had denied God. It says earlier in verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what happens when, our, when we deny God? God is the one who actually gives us our identity. If we're made in His image and likeness, then our identity comes from Him. Our identity comes from our Maker. And so when I turn my back on God as my Maker, when I deny that it is He who created me, He who made me, then I also have to deny that identity, that my God-given identity. And so we see that very clearly here in Romans. What happened when they denied that identity? They exchanged natural, that it would be God-given, sexual relations for unnatural ones. When people turn their back on God for a large part, especially when that happens in a large societal movement, usually one of the first things to go is is God-given sexual biblical sexual relations. So what happens in society when we see this kind of denial of God? I think that, first of all, we see that God's love is often emphasized, but His judgment is ignored. So when you take somebody who has uh, claims to be part of the LGBTQ movement and also claims to be Christian, we see that oftentimes they just focus on part of of who God is, right? His love is emphasized, His judgment is ignored, and then they lose their own identity, right? They lose the understanding of their sinfulness, and they believe they're more or less good. They believe that God wants them to be happy. You see, these are all problems in their understanding of who God is and who they are. And then what happens? If, If I believe that God is just love, no judgment, right? If I believe that I'm more or less good, if I believe God wants me to be happy, then if I'm not happy, whose fault is it? It's the fault of other people. It's the fault that I'm not allowed to express my sexual identity. And if I could just live freely and express my sexual identity, then everything would be good. Unfortunately, it's not. So Jesus met a young man, I think, who had this same problem in Luke chapter 18. It says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You see, he had lost this understanding of God's holiness and his sinfulness. And Jesus knew that. He sensed that when he came to him. And so what's interesting is that Jesus, in this particular instance, he didn't just confront the guy and say, oh no, you're a sinner. Why are you saying that? First of all, he used a rhetorical question. And then he told him a story. And I think that that helps us understand often how we can also approach homosexuals, people, LGBTQ community. That oftentimes it it needs to be done in a a wise way to help them view their own sin problem and in God's holiness as well. And 
again, we, we can also look back to Genesis chapter 3, where we see sin coming into the world, right? And, and when God confronts that sin, it's interesting, it says in Genesis, 11, or Genesis 3, 11 and 12, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. What happened? This is the age old thing. This is what we see in our culture today. Victim or sinner. And see, the problem is that many people who are caught up in LGBT lifestyle, they see themselves as victims rather than as sinners. And so we need a lot of wisdom. We need to help them to see that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of their desires and that in Him they will find their full identity and only in Him they can find that full identity because there are homosexuality is, is, is just a surface, scratching the surface of the problem. It is much deeper than that. And I think it's important to point them to Jesus as a good shepherd, as someone who, yes, upholds a righteous standard, but also is, is open and, will, and, and wanting to give them forgiveness, to love them, and to bring them into, into his flock. And, of course, just a couple more things to end with here. We need to love them. I think so often this is going to be done through relationships, through faithful and self-sacrificial love as, as Christ loved us. It is through those kinds of compassionate relationships that people eventually will be open to listening to the gospel. And I think it's important that we pray for them and that we pray with them. Don't be afraid to pray with someone from the LGBTQ community. I think that's a powerful way to testify to the Holy Spirit, the power of the cross, and God's love for them. And then finally, I just want to say this briefly, and that is share the gospel with them at different times and in different ways. I think that's so important that we sometimes get caught up on just sharing the gospel one way. But if you look at how Jesus shared the gospel, Jesus shared the gospel in many different ways. He never repeated himself. He never had sort of a thing that he memorized and he said. So find different ways to share the gospel. Find different parts of their life that need the gospel. Share the gospel with them often and in many different ways. Well, friends, I hope that some of these, some of these advices have been helpful for you. Maybe all of them. Let me know what you think. Maybe you have something you would like to add to this list. I will put my notes for this in the show notes so that you can go over them and go over some of these verses. So you can go to superfamily.org to find them there. And as always, we appreciate your prayers and your support for us here in Ukraine as we continue to serve Jesus Christ and preach the gospel.